Good evening, everybody. Welcome into the Nittany Lions Sports Report. It is live and weekly here on Bob Long Sports, housed on the Sports Stream Premium Network. My co-host here, Tyler Gelhouse. I'm Bob Long. Excited to be here to talk Nittany Lions football after a big win against Indiana. And now, Tyler, two games into the Big East slate. Penn State finding their role. A shutout, 24 to nothing. Yes, I guess we'll say some revenge against Indiana. But the way this team is looking, playing, thinking, it's on to Iowa City as they take on the Hawkeyes in a top-five matchup nationally, 4 p.m. on Fox. We'll talk about Indiana for sure, but a lot coming on the Iowa side. We're going to talk to Steve Batterson of the Quad City Times. He's been a longtime guest here just about every year. As, as much as we've had Steve on, Tyler, it's reminded me how often Penn State has played Iowa in this inter divisional matchup within the Big Ten. That's a huge game, so we have Steve coming on later. But first, Indiana, Michael Penix, Tom Allen come to town and leave with nothing to show for it. A great effort by that Penn State Nittany Lions defense. Yeah, I guess Indiana scored all their points in one year against Penn State. They piled it on last year for 36. Um, this year they get zero, so it averages out to be 18. Uh, but a, a really good performance by the Penn State defense. Um, they definitely um, were the star of the show uh, on Saturday night in Happy Valley. Um, yeah, I mean, Indiana, they had a couple of big plays early. Um, but, you know, Penn State even handed them a gift with the Clifford interception and nothing to show for it for the Hoosiers. So, uh, really good game for the for the defense, the offense, as I think we're going to talk about. Still has some, some ways to go, especially in a run game. But, um, you know, like we said earlier, you can't complain um, about shutting out a, a Big Ten opponent and um, one that beat you last year to start your season. I think the most – important or maybe the the thing that jumps out to me the most from Indiana last year to Indiana this year is Sean Clifford and we've talked a lot about how he is playing better and is becoming a point of strength in his game let's call it what it is with the rush game struggling and with the tight ends in and out of productivity in many ways the one constant this year behind Jahan Dotson and the most of that defense but the one constant offensively behind Dotson is Sean Clifford. And his growth this year has been unbelievable. From a guy with happy feet, a one-read guy, eliminating half of the field, not being able to get through progressions, to a guy who has really improved his footwork, can move from side to side in the pocket with purpose, can step up, can run, does keep his eyes downfield, and receivers that see that, acknowledge that, and use that freedom to now create breaks on the routes and get to positions where they're no, they know he's going to be able to throw the football. Uh, he's not this guy, but a guy in the NFL, Josh Allen, whose receivers have really bought into the fact that, hey, Josh can move from sideline to sideline out of the pocket, and he's going to throw the football, whether that's across the field, towards the sideline. Play's never over for me, the wide receiver, for me, the tight end. And I think Sean Clifford's consistent play this year, uh, combined with the wide receivers buying into that, has created so many more chances offensively. And most importantly, Sean Clifford, his misses are low and outside or high and into the stands, not high and inside to the field. And we've seen many, many less interceptions. We've seen much more consistent play. He has been the star offensively besides Jahan Dotson. Yeah, I mean, I think his interception on Saturday night was his, 
worst pass of the year. Sure. Um, but, you know, that was just really one bad ball the whole year when last year it was, you know, a couple of them a game type of thing. Um, definitely improved. I thought his uh, first quarter, I believe it was, fourth down conversion pass uh, to Parker Washington on like an eight-yard out. It was an incredibly difficult pass to make. That's yeah, a thirty-some-yard um, pass. Yeah, for that right, eight yards. right. And and Parker had you know both feet in. Obviously, only need one. Um, right where it had to be. I mean, that that was a big time throw. Mm-hmm. Um, From that far side far hash, s- as we were looking at it on the television, exactly to the near side boundary. That is a long throw. Yeah, it's not an easy throw. And then you know, also you talked about his footwork. I think a thing a lot of teams forget is Sean Clifford's a very athletic guy. He's very he's very fast. I mean, he runs I think either a four five or a four six, which is incredibly fast for anybody. And he's a quarterback, so it's really good really good um, forty time. And when the play breaks down, he has that ability to really make something out of nothing with his feet, which oftentimes you really don't think of with with Sean Clifford. Another thing that he can do, and I've he's done it a couple times. I think he even did it a couple times against Indiana. It's where he's scrambling, and then he stops right short of the the, mm-hmm. the line of scrimmage, fires it off for either a big play or a touchdown. Brenton Strange, yeah. right? I mean, that that is something where, especially against zone coverage, Tyler, when you have a linebacker or a defensive back uh, in, again, that, that very condensed part of the field, Sean Clifford comes to the line, and that defensive back or linebacker has to make a decision and as Sean Clifford gets to the line, they come forward, bang, let it go. And he did that a couple of times. Again, the Stratton, Brenton Strange pass was the best one yeah. that I saw there. Um, really, really effective. You want to give Mike Yersich a ton of credit, but let's give this young man a lot of credit as well. This is a guy who I did not necessarily see being a strength of this team during his tenure at Penn State. But again, He's an older guy. He's 23 years old. He's a fifth-year what? Fifth year guy, and he's got one more year that he can use because of the COVID year. So he redshirted as a freshman and now uh, a fifth-year senior or super junior, if right. you want to call it that. Uh, he could come back again next year, could find himself with additional NIL opportunities, especially with his increased fame, popularity, being a top five quarterback, if he's not going to go in the draft or not going to go in the top four or five rounds, why not a guy that comes back? And I just don't think that's the conversation we were having before the season. He's vaulted himself into that position of having this kind of conversation, and that is all the credit to him. You know, Penn State probably loses against Auburn without him. Uh, I'm not saying they lose this game against Indiana, but it's a different game if he plays differently and – uh, I know Wisconsin wasn't his best game, but right. he hung in long enough. Yeah. Uh, Sean Clefford's been really good this year. Yeah, and I don't even think Indiana, I mean, he was, I would say, average Sean Clifford. I mean, I think Auburn was his by far his best game. But um, he had some misses in, in the Indiana game as well. Um, I he get, also made a lot of plays that other quarterbacks would not he, make. He did. He did. Um, but I, I'm really interested to see how he, he looks going in Iowa. Because uh, if you remember two years ago, um, Penn State was also top ten, and they were they had they you know went to Iowa City and first I mean really that whole game he looked like a deer in the headlights. They won the game. They won the game. Scored seventeen points. Yep. They won. What was it like seventeen to twelve? Twelve. I yeah. Believe, so yeah. don't be surprised if it's similar this week. It was um, Brisker, by the way, when he first started getting into the lineup with a huge interception. That's right. He did have a big interception that game. Good memory. Um, but. 
he looked like a deer in the headlights. I, I'm not anticipating we're going to have that, that Sean Clifford on on Saturday night. But I guess what I'm trying to get at is I hope there's no regression here, and I hope he keeps you know progressing and and getting better, um, and and you know not turning in or a performance of a Sean Clifford 2020. You know if we can keep this upward trajectory here, um, you know that'll that'll be huge for Penn State moving forward. Yeah, yeah. No, again a fantastic game by Sean, or really just the first five games here of the season. Uh, one play we want to talk about, and that is what I thought was an excellent play design, pretty good execution, which is that shovel pass inside to Brenton Strange. They found oh. really unique and effective ways to get their tight ends in the mix along the goal line. Of course, the one that jumps off the page at you is <coughs> Tyler Warren mm-hmm. and what they've done there. That didn't work against Indiana. That's not to say it's not a good decision. It's not just a bad decision because it didn't work. It's not just a good decision when it does work. But I, I get it, right? You're trying to find ways to be effective in short yard situations, and we can talk about the running backs in a second. <clears throat> but I thought that play was excellent. Now, that was called back, and it was called back for a very specific reason. And, and What did they say on air about that? I actually don't know what they said on air. I had it on mute. Okay. Um, yeah. But my guess but my guess is that it had to be who was considered eligible. Well, um, because it was weird because Rasheed Walker was in – just over the end zone, I think they snapped at the two or three yard line, and that's who they called. Yeah, you know but, what? I don't think was, that's what he, it was. He though. was. They thought they said an eligible man downfield. They didn't. Oh, you know what? They did initially. They did initially. Oh, it, they it, changed it. Was, it. Okay. it was it was a ineligible receiver catching the pass, Brenton Strange. So what it comes down where he was lined up or something. Uh, actually, what it turns so there where are he was like blocked. Like, basically, um, if you're on the line of scrimmage. You have to be the receiver that is the furthest out. So in that case, it was either Dotson. They or were lined Lambert. up on, uh, like with him, so, essentially, right on the line of scrimmage, just all the way to the sideline. And so right? is he, and he's always going. Well, he doesn't have to because he, he could be could like be a, a little bit off. behind, right? But what should have happened in my mind is Parker Washington or whoever was out there can take one step off the line because whoever is the furthest out, they can't cover him. That is on the line is automatically eligible right but you can't have a second guy that he's got to be line. off of it exactly he's got to be off the line gotcha. so you had two guys on the line which made the receiver eligible which and the then tight end made him not. ineligible gotcha uh, and that's an easy fix yeah uh no problem with that i thought it was an excellent play call so i don't think penn state fans should take anything away from that saying hey why are they not getting lined up correctly everything was right there that's a minor minor fix and probably something that shouldn't happen, but but not the end of the world either. Uh, I love that play because if he drops that football, it's an incomplete pass. That's the best part of that type of play. When you flip it forward like that, either on a jet sweep or on a shovel, right? That's a tough pass through space. Not going to get intercepted, if not at least not very often. But it is something you could fumble, drop. Hey, you get to do it again. Right. Great play call by Yurisich. Again, it didn't. Count came back, and then Dotson makes an absolutely unbelievable catch in the back of the end. It's true. Ball don't lie. So, uh, But I think you're going to see that play, um, the shovel pass to the tight end a couple more times here, for sure, at the end of the at the end here as we get going here in the season. So why are we talking so much about these end of – or condensed field situations and these tight ends and how they're getting them impacted in a creative way? It's because the running backs have not been as successful in short yard situations. Let's talk about Noah Kane here. Uh, 
is it me, Tyler, or did did something look wrong there? You know, I I I think he kind of looked off. Is he hurt? Well, you got to remember. I know you know. I know you know this, but um, 2019 he he got injured. Michigan State. Yep. Last year he got injured. Indiana. What, first sequence first, of yeah, the entire first season. First couple plays. Um, I don't know if it's – I can't imagine, you know, they would put him out there assuming he's being honest, you know, fit, with a physical injury. You know, is there a mental side of it? You know, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I don't want you, – you don't want to get hurt again. You're thinking about your future and all that, which is understandable. I guess. Uh, I, in just, order to have the future you want, you got to be more productive. Sure, but you also – could be playing not to get hurt and that's when you get hurt in my opinion sure, um, absolutely i just I, I don't know he does he looks not that he was ever the fastest guy or anything like that just looks a step slow um and tentative i think that's what i'm well. saying yeah i don't that's why i don't know really what's going on um and, and we're in like the fifth game now um you know i could see if it were the first couple of games he was playing like that but you could argue that wisconsin was his best game sure and he, not that he lit up the stat sheet, but he came up clutch at the end of the game. So if there were, if there was any game where you would think, oh, maybe he's just a little rusty, it would be Wisconsin. But now we're kind of going reverse of what you would have thought. Um, Agreed. So I just I felt like I feel uh, like something's up with him too. I, you know, I can't really pinpoint it, but he doesn't seem like the Noah Kane that that we're familiar with. Not a particularly physical back on on Saturday night. Uh, at first contact, he went down. Even the very the first very play first of the game. The very first play, it kind of looked awkward to me. Awkward. I thought he got hurt. And he kind of just ran. And, like, the guy, like, didn't even really tackle him. They kind of just ran into each other yep. and fell. And he went way back, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. Usually, you know, he's looking to run somebody over. Right. I yeah. agree. Um, just not sure. And I, I saw that, by the way, with a few other guys. Even uh, Kevon Lee had a great game, but – even a couple of his runs, and at some point you give credit to Indiana, right? They were tackling and tackling relatively effectively on Penn State's running backs. But, yeah, it felt like there wasn't much a fall forward, particularly uh, not from Noah Kane. I mean, again, that's not to rag on the kid either. But, it's just something to think about. that was his, you know, M.O. was he always, you know, they used the term falls forward, which I think is funny. But he was always, you know, think back to that Iowa game in 2019. I mean, that was really the Noah Kane game. You know, he got every first down you needed down the stretch. He scored the touchdowns. Um, and then now, <laughs> I don't really know how much we're going to see him on Saturday night, Saturday afternoon. So I, he did get snaps into the fourth quarter. He did. I personally, right now, I prefer Lee and Lovett. Because I think they, they can complement each other pretty well. The one being the bigger bruiser and then Lovett, I think, you know, he's got more of the home run threat ability. Um, receiving out of the backfield, I think. Um, Lee so. seems to have, and I get it, home run threat, right? But you you got to get yourself at to the second level somehow, and then your speed and dictates. Lee and Lee did. I think Lee's got excellent vision. Is what I'm getting at. I do too. I do too. Um, earlier in the season, I felt like he was dancing around a little bit, going too much east to west, mm-hmm. and trying to cut it back. Um, look, I mean, I, I like Noah Kane a lot. Obviously, he's had a lot of you know, I'm not saying that this is it or anything like that, but I think if you're being honest with your running back room, I think you kind of have to go Lee Lovett and then probably Kane at three yeah. right now. It's And which, that's what we've seen over the years at the position. Sure. Yeah, guys like Ricky Slade, who were the next era parents, ended up – he ended up at Old Dominion because of guys like Noah Kane and 
Devin Ford. Journey Brown, right. Journey Brown. So, what do you... Do you think the running back rotation, I'll throw this one on to you, has any um, impact on the lack of running game right now? Success of running game? No. I mean, you got to get the right guy out there. I don't think necessarily blocking for three different guys is having that major impact. I just think that... uh, Potentially, Noah Kane's leaving things out there. Right. It's, it's a personnel decision. Uh, I don't think it's something where Eric Wilson or Rasheed Walker no, are thinking, oh, is it John Love? No, I don't. There? No, it- I was just thinking more in terms of the running backs getting, you know, like hot and, and comfortable, like a rhythm, uh, essentially, hmm. is not so much from the line's point of view because their job really doesn't change, um, but just the running backs and getting in a rhythm. Because honestly, like, when sometimes they have four running backs within the first two series or the first quarter or whatever. Sure. And, um, like, sometimes, you know, like, Lee will break off a nice run and then you won't see him for a little bit. And you I usually tr- don't I, see him for a little bit after he drops the football. Yeah. But he did that in two, two games earlier this yeah, year. Yeah. But I, I still think that right now, I think Lee provides the best opp- opportunity. Opportunity. So long as um, he's holding that football, I think yeah. he might be the best yeah. in so, between the tackles. Right, back. and I think that you know, I think Lovett could really have a nice game on on Saturday because, um, just because he's different than 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 Kane and and Lee in the sense of he's not the most physical running back, but you know, I think he's due to break a run or a catch sooner or later. Here. Yeah, no, I think that's. I mean, that's been a great pickup, John Lovett, and not somebody yeah, we like saw a steady before. pickup, right? We didn't see him before the Auburn game. He was in the doghouse. We weren't sure what number he was going to wear. It was almost as if this season was going to go by and he was going to be Weston Carr, you know, a guy right. who came in and, and some folks had some expectations for it. Now, he was a D3 guy but uh, and just never saw the field. But Lovett has been an impact transfer right away, uh, as has many other guys. I mean, Katie and Tangelo, Wilson. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, they they got really good transfers in this year, which is you know Johnny Dixon, cornerback, got, got some time. Yeah, at the end so of the game there. I mean, they they really hit that transfer between the transfer portal and I know we're getting away, and I'll make this quick, but between the transfer portal that they that they got in, and to being able to to hold on to guys that could have gone to the NFL, Dotson, Brisker, the the first two that come to mind. I mean, that's why you're looking at a five and zero team. Oh, obviously, Sean Clifford has a lot to do with that, Mike Yurcich, but. For being honest right now, being able to get those guys back for another year, which, by the way, is also helping their draft stock. So it's a win-win for everybody. It is. It's a good place to be. Happiest of valleys, huh? Right about now. Hey, I had one more comment on the Indiana game, and that's quite simply uh, they talked about Jack Tuttle, who came into the game when Penix got hurt. And they said that the Indiana staff thinks that they have the best backup quarterback in the Big Ten, that Tuttle, they think he's the best backup quarterback the Big Ten has to offer. I, I have two reactions to that. One, if he was really that good, he'd probably be starting over Michael Panix. And two, I would say that that's probably one of the uh, three guys over at Ohio State yeah. right now that no, are five-star no, kids. No, I mean, he, he's a good good quarterback, good backup quarterback. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't put him that high either. Yeah. And I didn't hear the broadcast because I was there. But hey, he might be the backup at Penn State. That wouldn't surprise me. But oh, sure. he would probably be, like you said, third or fourth at Ohio State. Um, I mean, even Michigan's got a good little back, not little, but good backup right now with McCarthy, right. the freshman. So, um, yeah, that's 
Uh, I mean, yeah, he should be starting then, right? I guess because so. Penix is out with a, uh, some of the shoulder I saw, and he's week to week. So I guess we'll we'll learn a lot more about Jack Tuttle, if that's his name, in the next couple couple weeks here. <laughs> Not what we're going to keep our focus on, though, now as we move to Iowa week officially. Kinnick Stadium is the home of this one here. That's where the venue is, is this weekend. It's an awesome place. I was out there just this summer for a wedding, and so we snuck our way into Kinnick Stadium. Tyler, it's absolutely beautiful. We should take a road trip or a flight, I guess, at some point one of these years to go see a road game there. Absolutely fantastic. The <clears throat> great tradition of waving at the Children's Hospital, which is behind the one sideline. The press boxes are on the one side. The stadium's open at the other top of the other side. So the Children's Hospital, it truly is, for those that are wondering. It's right across a two-lane street and scales high above the football stadium. So, yes, a lot of those kids have views of the football field, and when they turn around and wave, that is a heartwarming moment and a great college football tradition Another great college football tradition about Kinnick Stadium, a 70,000-plus uh, seat barn. Penn State's locker room is going to be painted pink. Pink road locker room. And the legend has it is pink is a color that softens emotions and reduces testosterone and other things of that nature. So they are trying to uh, winnow away Penn State's physical presence yeah. and, and anticipation of that game through the pink locker room. And that's for every opponent, not just oh, of course. Penn State. Um, one of those gimmicky things. That would be a lot of paint yeah. jobs. Yeah. Which, I mean, I guess I guess you could say it has worked to a certain extent against Penn State, but the last two trips there, Penn State came out victorious, you know, albeit the one, obviously the Saquon Barkley game in, in 17, uh, with the last play of the game, Juwan Johnson touchdown, and then 2019, as we talked about a little bit earlier, was a grinded out type of game, and you know I don't I don't really see this game being you know much different from from that game in 2019. So um, locker room and wave aside, um, <laughs> it's going to be a really good game. You know, first time and I don't even know how many years they said Bob, but first time there's two top five Big Ten teams when Ohio State isn't one of them hmm. that are facing off against each other, and that's yeah. what, that's what we're going to have. Um, on Saturday, and I think there's some pretty interesting storylines and matchups here um, that we can get into a little bit. Yeah, uh, Kirk Ferentz, head coach of Iowa, has been there for a very long time. It just feels like every five or so years, one of his teams finds their way to the top of the Big Ten West, and this is that year. They have college football, very reasonable college football playoff hopes and expectations at this point, based on their What's schedule. going on with Clemson <laughs> and, and their, where they are. But, you know, where Ohio State is right now, uh, there there are opportunities here. The way Oklahoma's playing, I know they're still unbeaten. But, you know, the, their traditional power, Notre Dame just lost this weekend to mm -hmm. Cincinnati. There is going to be an opportunity for this team to make the college football playoff because this is not necessarily an Alabama-Clemson-Ohio State-Georgia type of year, an Alabama-Ohio-State-Clemson Oklahoma, although certainly two of those right. teams can easily still make it at this point. The, the <clears throat> door has opened for a team like Iowa, and let's call it the way it is, a team like Penn State. It's a huge game this weekend. Yeah, I mean, this game has huge Big Ten playoff implications on it. Um, I think, put it this way, if Iowa were to lose this game, I still think they can run the table based upon their schedule. 
and they're likely going to Indianapolis regardless. I think Penn State, on the other hand, I th- they have a much tougher schedule. There's no way around it. I mean, you still have Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, uh, Maryland. Um, so you still have a couple you know, tough games there. Um, if Penn State can somehow squeak out a win here, it puts them in a really nice spot. Um, you know, I, I still think there's probably at least one loss on the schedule somewhere. It's just it's kind of how college football is these days, I feel like, especially with a very difficult Big Ten, Big Ten East. Um, so I, I think Penn State, this game probably, in terms of the Big Ten race, they need it because I still see a likely loss on the back end of the schedule, whereas your, your two losses, that probably puts you out of it. Whereas Iowa, like I said, if they lose, they're still the front runners for the West. Yeah. Tyler Goodson, starting running back. It'll be a two-back system, but he leads them carries and in yards. A guy who is only a junior, but it feels like he's been here forever. Yeah, it really does feel like he's been here for a long time. And Tyler Goodson, probably one of, if not the top running back in the conference. Yeah, really good. And he's going to be tough for Penn State to stop. That's one thing where Penn State's been really good, though, is stopping yeah. the run. So I think that, um, you know, like you said, that's a strength against strength right there. He's also their, you know, second leading receiver. So they they yeah. like to do a lot with uh, with Tyler Goodson. Um, so Penn State's obviously going to have their eyes on number 15. Laporta's um, a really good tight end. He's leading them. Laporta is their leading receiver. He's a tight end. Uh, and that, that doesn't sound that crazy for, for Iowa. I guess you think back to, like, Dallas Clark mm-hmm. when he was there years ago. Oh, Noah Fant, TJ Noah Hawkinson Fant, on the I mean, they team. really have good tight end history at Iowa. Um, and – you know they're they're their top two weapons offensively. Uh, they're they're wide receivers. I, I don't know how else to say this, but they're really average, I guess you could say. Tyrone Tracy, Nico Regani, the um, the starters. I'm not even sure if one of them's in double digit catches this year. I want to say their leader isn't even over 150 yards, whereas I believe Penn State has three guys that are over 150. Um, and I think that Penn State's cornerbacks match up well with a lot of teams and I don't see that being any different with with Iowa so you're you're really focusing on Laporta the tight end and Goodson the running back for the most part yeah you're absolutely right and as good a time as any to talk about this Penn State defense because yeah we spent a lot of time talking about Clifford and some of the struggles of Kane and the unique ways they're involving the tight ends what about Brent Pry in the defense that just pitched a shutout against Indiana it is tough to pitch a shutout in college football really tough well yeah I mean it's tough because the team's always going to have for the most part especially a conference game I mean this isn't like Idaho you're playing um I mean Indiana was set up to really score a touched 10 points Mm -hmm. sure I mean they had a chip shot field goal 30 some yarder that was blocked yep by Ebikati again and and they really Penn State's defense came up strong on, on not letting him get the first down on fourth and one at like the five yard line there. Um, and that's what you need for a shutout sure. these days. Cause he's, you know, it's an offensive game. Yeah, You're going to get it inside the 30, right? right? It's a, it's an offensive game and you know, they're, they're hard, to, they're hard to come by shutouts. So it's makes it even more impressive. But the thing that really jumps off the page at me, and I love the Jesse Lucetta story <laughs> and I love what Katie's doing on the on the edge. I know there's some depth issues there. If those guys had any issues or got hurt or had an issue where they got winded and had to be spelled for any significant period of time. But this secondary has been so good. 
And Joey Porter Jr. is so talented at that position. I love watching him play. And with him and Tariq Castro-Fields, who did get burned on a double move, it's going to happen. He's playing pretty well right he was, now. And he was still right there with him. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good throw, good catch, too. It was. So. And, and that happens, right? Uh, the way football is, you're on, and especially are designed, you're, on an, you're on an island out there. You're designed to have receivers, yeah. They're, they're going to beat uh, cornerbacks. Basically, a receiver knows where he's cutting, and the cornerback doesn't. And, you know, the best ones are able to make up that ground. And, and Castro Fields has been good. Porter has been excellent. And Brisker and Brown, I mean, Jair Brown next to Brisker. We knew what we were going to get out of Jaquan Brisker. Brown has been not a surprise, but uh, a, pl- a pleasant, steady pleasant, Eddie surprise. I would heck say, yeah, he's I not mean, um, playing at a high level. He's not. What's the? You're not. We uh, didn't think he was going to be an All Big Ten type of guy, and he may not be still. Right, but he's playing at you're a not level. Wor- you're not worried about him. Yep. You know, and, and I, I think this is the best Penn State secondary. I don't want to say in program history because I wasn't. You know around for the majority of it but as far as i can remember this is <laughs> this was, is it there were some teams where there there were some teams where maybe the end of the Marcus Allen although he wasn't great pass coverage and then you had over Warrior and and Grant, Grant Haley yeah. and, and even Christian Campbell Christian yeah. Campbell Apke ended up being a pro I, but i do think this team's probably better than that I, defensively i think i think in the in the back end for sure and i and you mentioned you like watching, you know, Porter play and all that. <laughs> if you're watching it on TV, it's actually very tough to watch him play because they don't throw it his way much. Sure. When you're in person, I mean, you get a, a much better appreciation, like because he's on the guy, like like glue. It's it's really impressive. He just, I didn't think, you know, when 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 Penn State signed him as a recruit, he signed with Penn State. I didn't think. He was going to be this type of impact player. Yeah, I thought he'd be a nice player, but his trajectory and NFL potential has really shot up here the last couple weeks. It's been awesome to see. Yeah, the defensive secondary as good as it's been, and I don't think we've actually uh, addressed. So we talk about the stout defense. Now let's talk about the stout special teams, led by our buddy Jordan Stout, playing uh, punter, kicking, hit the fifty-yard field goal punting unbelievably, doing whatever he wants on kickoffs. He can pound it through the uprights if he needs to. He can kick it a little higher and give the guys that are covering a chance to get down there and and try yeah. to make a play. He opens up a ton of doors. Uh, he's a good field goal kicker. He's got an amazing leg. He is an unbelievable punter that could be punting on Sundays. I think he will be punting on Sundays, um, and I think – because he can do, you know, do it all. I think that's even more um, of a, of a no value. Value, team, exactly. Sure. Because Versatility. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, he, he's the one guy that in a game like like Saturday night against Iowa, I don't know too much about their special teams, but he can change a game with field position. Um, he hasn't given a kickoff, kickoff return yet this year. He's hit one out of bounds. Um, I'm not sure he's going to – give up any returns this year because it's like even if they don't, they're going to fair catch it because by the time the guy catches it, the the guy's already at the 15-yard line. Um, And, you know, I think there's a good possibility we're going to need him to go out there and nail some 40-plus-yard kicks on Saturday that could be the difference. Could be the difference. So 
keep an eye on Jordan Stout. Stout special teams here on the Nittany Lions Sports Report. Stout defense, and we talked a lot about the offense. Talked a little bit about Iowa here as well. We'll take a break and get into that a lot more. Steve Batterson is our guest of the Quad City Times. Excited to have him on. We'll do some guest picker action with him as well. Tyler, we're not doing well this year, so this is as good a week as any to pick it up a little bit. Yeah, like I, like I say every week, don't listen to our picks. Um, go with your heart, your gut, not ours. <laughs> I still can't get over it. I was 35-12 and 12 last year, and now I'm under 500. So, yeah, time to pick it up. Not good, but we're tied, so it's going to be an interesting race, but it's a below 500. It's like the NFC East, a I pillow guess you could fight. Say. <laughs> A pillow fight out there. We'll be right back, though. Nittany Lions Sports Report. Steve Batterson is next. Dunphy Ford is Mayfair's neighborhood Ford store. Nobody knows your neighborhood like Dunphy Ford. Nearly 40 years. Right here on Frankfurt Avenue. Generation after generation, our neighbors continue to be our customers. We have access to the cars and trucks you want with financing you need. Dunphy Ford is Northeast Philly's first choice for America's number one brand. 7700 Frankfurt Avenue in Mayfair. Online at www.dumpyford.com. Come experience the Dumpy difference. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Nittany Lions Sports Report, everybody. We have a special guest here this evening. It's Steve Batterson of the Quad City Times. He has been a longtime guest of ours here on the Nittany Lions Sports Report. It seems like the more and more we have Steve on, Tyler, the more I realize how often Penn State and Iowa are playing each other across divisions, which is great to see. Steve, welcome, and uh, this might be the high prof highest-profile Penn State-Iowa game since we started talking. Yeah, certainly, no question. Both teams are, are positioned pretty well heading into this one, and uh, uh, something's going to have to give on Saturday. Only one of those two teams is going to get out of there with their, their first loss in a combined 20 games. So, Yeah, and, and that's what we're here to talk to you about, certainly, because the anticipation is key. We'll be all waiting for it on Saturday at 4 but we want to know what uh, what are we seeing from the Iowa camp right now? How are the Hawkeyes and Kirk Ferentz feeling about the team they've put out on the field thus far this season? You know, I think the Iowa defense has been kind of the, the portion of this team that's kind of carried things early on. Uh, offensively, uh, Spencer Petrus returned to quarterback, but there were some young pieces around him. And it, it's, it's taken some time for, for them to kind of mature and grow and, you know, I think initially they were, to a degree, he was being kind of spoon-fed the offense. Uh, uh, new receivers, uh, uh, three new offensive linemen. So, I mean, it, it's been kind of an inexperienced group, and they, they've made steady progress. And and certainly uh, last weekend at Maryland was a was a significant step forward for that group. Steve, uh, when we when we think about Tyler Goodson, we talked about him in the first half of our show a guy who is listed as a junior and we can't believe that it feels like he's been contributing at a high level for a long time with this team. What's Kirk been saying about Tyler's impact this year? Yeah, certainly Tyler's a guy who's led Iowa in rushing both as a true freshman and, and, and as a sophomore last year. And, you know, he, he continues to do good things. Uh, you know, he's a threat not only to carry the ball, but he's also uh, uh, a solid receiver from that running back position. And Iowa is, is using him more frequently uh, in that role as, as his career progresses. He's, he's matured. He's a little, he's making better decisions on the field. 
Uh, he certainly has skill. There's no question about that. Uh, he was the first true freshman to ever lead Iowa in rushing. And, uh, you know, he's, he's part of what makes this offense go. Hey, Steve, uh, this is Tyler. Um, speaking about the offense and speaking about Tyler Goodson in the receiving game, um, appears Iowa's uh, leading receivers tight end uh, is Laporta. Um, outside of Laporta and, and Goodson in the passing game, um, it's, it's not, you know, typical to see a tight end and running back one and two. Um, any, any wide receivers at Penn State fans um, should, be, should be watching closely on Saturday. Uh, and the reason I ask is because we feel like Penn State fans, coaches feel as if that this is a really good cornerback room that we have at Penn State. Um, and they've looked really good this year. So just trying to figure out if there's anybody on the outside um, on that Iowa offense that we should be worried about. Yeah, certainly Nico Regani and Tyrone Tracy Jr. are probably the two guys to watch. Uh, they're, they're the veteran guys in the group. Uh, Iowa also has two young true freshmen that have been seeing quite a bit of time. Keegan Johnson uh, is a kid out of the Omaha area who was uh, pretty productive two games ago uh, against uh, Kent State or Colorado State, excuse me. And, uh, and then last weekend, Arlen Bruce, uh, the fourth, who's a kid who, who was the Kansas City Metro Player of the Year as a junior ended up transferring to uh, Ankeny, Iowa High School, uh, just outside of Des Moines for a senior season because of some COVID issues and questions about whether there was gonna be a high school season for him in Kansas. And both of those guys have stepped into, uh, into roles pretty quickly. They had some, uh, some dynamics to, uh, to Iowa's passing game and, and they're gonna to continue to contribute more and more as this season progresses. But uh, uh, they both enrolled in January, went through spring ball, and have been uh, solid when, when they've been on the field. They haven't been asked to do a lot yet, but uh, they both have shown some potential. Steve, Penn State fans think about Iowa City and those that have been fortunate enough to go out there speak very highly of the atmosphere there, of the fan base there. Uh, in particular, this week, big noon kickoff will be on site. College game day to the chagrin of many will not. Walk us through, if you could, what a game day looks like in Iowa City for the fan and, uh, and what it'll look like leading up to 4 o'clock p.m. on Saturday. Well, I, in some ways, it's very similar to State College. Um, the, uh, the campus uh, center, the Pentecrest, it's called in Iowa City, uh, sits right across the street from downtown Iowa City, not, un not unlike what you see in, in, in State College. Um, that's, that's where uh, Fox will set up its, its uh, uh, outdoor studio on Saturday for its pregame show. Uh, it, that's removed from the football stadium, not, un, not unlike what you see in State College. Uh, uh, the, the stadium uh, in Iowa City sits across the Iowa River uh, on the west part of the campus. Uh, it's across the street from the hospital, uh, University Hospital, which has been a, a growing complex of, of buildings over time. And uh, so Koenig is kind of surrounded. It's a little bit landlocked. Uh, uh, there are a few couple of parking lots nearby that are, are you know, very populated with tailgaters, not, not unlike what you would see uh, on the Penn State campus. It's, it's a very similar tone and, and area. Uh, the sports, some, a number of the sports complexes are kind of adjacent to each other and, and uh, provide some parking and, and area for folks to kind of tailgate and socialize before the game. Yeah, I was out there, believe it or not, for a wedding this past summer and made the trek across the river there, checked out 
uh, checked out the Kinnick Stadium. And the thing that surprised me, I know we're getting off topic football here, Carver Hawkeye Arena, now we couldn't get in, but Carver Hawkeye Arena surprised me from the outside. Just the architecture in general built deep into the ground. Uh, obviously, Penn State will play Fran McCaffrey and the Hawkeyes every year. What's Carver Hawkeye Arena like? Yeah, it's kind of a unique atmosphere. You, you enter on, on the upper level and uh, walk down to your seats. Uh, um, it soon will have a, uh, a new wrestling facility that will be attached to the uh, front end of the, uh, uh, the building uh, that will change the look of it dramatically. Uh, you're, you're talking about a, a $20 million project to, uh, to kind of benefit the Iowa wrestling program, which obviously there's some interest in, in wrestling in Penn State as well. So uh, it's all about keeping up with, uh, with the Joneses and the Sandersons and, and that kind of thing. And it certainly is uh, something that, uh, you know, Iowa coming off an NCAA title is, is looking forward to uh, upgrading facilities as well. You know, the Carver Hawkeye Arena is unique. It's, it's uh, uh, nearing 40 years old here in a couple of years. And, and uh, it's, uh, it has its own personality. Uh, fans are a little bit removed. Uh, if you get up to some of those upper rows, you're, you're a ways away from the action. But uh, it's been a good home court for the Hawkeyes over, over time. Steve, we've talked a lot uh, about Petrus, about Goodson, about LaPorta, about the offense, about campus. Uh, one thing we haven't talked about is probably the thing that jumps off the page at you about Iowa the most, and that is the defense. What is the strength of this Iowa defense or strengths? I mean, we're talking about a team where defense bullied their opponents all season long and probably is the number one asset of this Iowa Hawkeyes team. Yeah, certainly heading into the season, everybody would have pointed to the secondary. And, and, and those guys haven't disappointed. 12 picks through, through five games. Uh, you know, they've, they've been turning people over with regularity. Uh, you know, and, and the young part of that defense was the front four. It's, it's the third straight season I always had to replace three starters up front. And uh, they've used a rotation basis here for probably the last five or six years that uh, has prepared younger guys to kind of step into larger roles. And, and what you're seeing now is that payoff. I mean, the, the, the folks who stepped into the starting tackle spots this year uh, and, and the end spot opposite Zach Van Valkenburg, the only returning starter, those guys have been prepared, uh, you know, through through role play over time, and uh, and they've stepped in and performed. They're getting enough pressure on on, on quarterbacks to, to kind of create some some havoc on the back end, force a few uh, ill-advised passes, uh, and, and it's complemented by a group of linebackers who are also kind of settling into larger roles this year. And certainly, Jack Campbell's a guy that's kind of stepped forward at that middle spot that's uh, that's performing pretty well. Steve, the last question I had for you on, uh, you know, on this football team in particular is with Penn State, when there are games like this, and with any type of school, right, and this won't technically be a night game, maybe by the middle of the fourth quarter, could be getting dark out there, but I know you guys are an hour behind us, so a 3 p.m. kick. Uh, but huge games like this are obviously huge opportunities in recruiting, and that spans the entire country. What does the recruiting weekend look like this week for, for Iowa. Some big names on the docket. Of course, the number four team in the country here, top five team nationally. Has Kirk Ferentz seen an early jolt in the 2022 or really at this point, the 2023-2024 classes? 
Right now, uh, this will be a huge recruiting weekend. Over 80 prospects are expected to be at Saturday's game, which uh, it's probably one of the larger weekends that Iowa has ever hosted. Uh, there's, uh, you know, a little bit has to do with the fact of, of how their home schedule sets up. And certainly uh, Penn State is an attractive opponent to bring some folks in. Uh, I was I was recruiting class for 2022 will be a, a smaller group. Uh, they have 10 commitments at this point. Uh, it's probably going to end up somewhere in the neighborhood of about 17, 18 guys. They're certainly working hard on 23, which will be a larger class to, to replace. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of the prospects you'll see on campus this weekend will be guys who, who are targeted for, for that recruiting class. That's great. Well, Steve, before we let you go, we have some fun with all our guests on these shows. Uh, we do a little guest picker sequence, and you've given us a ton of intel on Iowa. We'll do a couple of games of pick them, if you don't mind, and then we'll have uh, Penn State-Iowa against the spread, and we'll have Tyler dish those out, if you don't mind. All right, Steve, our first game um, is Arkansas at Ole Miss. Yeah, Arkansas coming off a fun one last weekend. Uh, I, I think I'll probably go with Ole Miss in this one. I guess Ole Miss came off a fun one, too. In some Arkansas <laughs> may have been more fun or yeah. less fun, depending on who you're talking <laughs> to. But, all right, uh, Red River rivalry where um, game day is going. Uh, totally disagree with that. But um, Texas and Oklahoma. So Texas State Fair is going on, but Oklahoma, I think, you know, they certainly have uh, – uh, found ways to win, and, and you know, the, the, the just maybe part of this team's DNA. I'm, I'm going to go with Oklahoma. All right. Notre Dame t- coming off of a tough home loss to Cincinnati. Uh, they now travel to take on the Hokies of Virginia Tech. I'm, I'm going to go with Notre Dame bouncing back from, from a rough one. Against a good Cincinnati team. I mean, there's yes, no question there. Of course, no a huge win for Cincinnati, vaulting themselves right into the national picture. It's impressive. Penn State Iowa isn't the only crossover game uh, this week that's uh, national audience. Michigan travels to Nebraska for primetime 7:30 kickoff. Big, big game for the Huskers, uh, who, who've shown some life lately. Uh, Michigan's been impressive, and uh, you know, and I, I, I'm going to go with the Wolverines on the road. All right, we have uh, we're going to go out for the Pac-12 for one game. Uh, Utah at USC. Yeah, um, I'm, let's go with Utah. And then finally, the big one. The big one. Um, if you can't give a pick, that's okay, uh, considering it's only Monday, and I'm sure you still have to release some things out there. Uh, I'm not sure this will travel that far. But Penn State, uh, as of right now, is a two-and-a-half-point underdog. If you could, please give us uh, your score prediction and uh, why or why not I will win or lose. Let's go with uh, let's go with twenty one twenty. We'll go with with Iowa at home, and I'm going to have to stick with that on a couple other picks and that I make this week. So um, I, I think it has a lot to do with the home field. Uh, I think I think these are two really good football teams, and and uh, uh, you know this may not be the only time they meet. Hey, I like that. Yes, could find their way back to Indianapolis. Could be the year. It's been a great. Rivalry, I think it's one of mutual respect, Steve, and uh, 
And certainly it's, it's something that is all that's, that's good about college football, two programs like this. So, Steve, you're, you're going up against some formidable competition. We have a 5-1 and one in the house, but that perfect 6-0 and oh record, it's, it's on the docket. So maybe your Hawkeyes plus your other picks can deliver you right to the top of the Nittany Lions Sports Report standings. Either way, we appreciate your time, and, uh, and you're always so good to, to give us a few minutes here on our show. My pleasure, guys. Take care. All right. Thank you. Enjoy the football game on Saturday. All right. We welcome you back from the lounge, the guest lounge where we took uh, an opportunity to talk to Steve Batterson of the Quad City Times. And he's a great guest, Tyler. Always wonderful to have him on. We learned about Iowa's offense, defense, recruiting, and the campus. Tough to get more uh, in-depth than that over the span of 15 minutes. Yeah, Steve's great. And uh, unfortunately, I think next year, Iowa, I don't know for sure but they might finally be off the schedule yeah off the crossover rotation so you know if the two teams meet up again in Indianapolis like he said maybe we'll get them on again um but it, it is good it's it's also impressive on your end to be able to somehow find these guys and then get them to come on come on your show here so um can't wait to you can't wait to get our buddy David Kender back from Zanesville Ohio there you go. talk to the Buckeyes couple weeks yes sir he brings a pretty good following too it sounds like because we End up having some pretty good viewership that week, whether that's uh, for David or for the Ohio State Buckeyes. Who could say? We're not going to yeah. extricate those two <laughs> variables. We'll keep on talking Ohio State with David so we won't figure out the true cause. But, Tyler, we heard Steve's picks, and there's some pretty good ones there. Might contend with Rob Stott at 5-1. and one. Is that the leader in the clubhouse? Rob Stott of yeah. LaSalle College High School Rob, Broadcasting? Yep, Rob is still a leader. 5-1. and one. Bruce last week went 3 and three, so that's that's where we are right now. Okay, so let's see if we can find our way back to either 500 or above here with a big week. What do you say, Tyler? Uh, better late than never. All right. All right, here we go, Bob. Um, you have Arkansas at Ole Miss. I'm going to go with Ole Miss. Uh, I like the Rebels. I like what Lane Kiffin is doing, Matt Corral. Uh, yeah, tough loss against Alabama, but it's Alabama. Uh, I've undersold Arkansas a bunch of times this year. I have lost when they've won, if you will, twice, Texas and uh, yeah. and as well as Texas A&M. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to keep picking against them, and they're going to keep burning me, but Ole Miss. <laughs> uh, I have Ole Miss, too, uh, which makes that three of us. Um, games played at Ole Miss, both teams coming off of tough, um, away losses to two of the best teams in the country. So I'm going Ole Miss. Uh, we're going to go Texas versus Oklahoma in the red rivalry, red river rivalry used to be shootout. I don't think you can say that anymore, but nevertheless, Texas and Oklahoma, you know, it's not the only shootout that got its name changed. The crosstown shootout is a basketball rivalry between Cincinnati and Xavier. Xavier. Hmm. And they ended that after the body bag comment by two Holloway. Zip them up. In <laughs> fact, the basketball tournament, TVT, that they do, Xavier's team name, because you're not going to go by Xavier's, or Xavier or Musketeers, is Zip them up. So... <laughs> That is now the Crosstown 
classic. But Dude. the Red River rivalry, <laughs> I think, is going to be won by Oklahoma. I've been severely unimpressed with their performance all year long, but they find a way to keep winning. As unimpressed as I've been with Oklahoma, I've also been relatively unimpressed with Texas. So Oklahoma wins this one close. Change it up here. I uh, actually write my picks down before you go, just so you know, so you don't think I'm copying off you. That's a plan. That's why we have the same record. <laughs> uh, I'm going Texas. I I just think that um, when is the last time? I couldn't even tell you the last time Texas won this game. Um, could be sooner, more recent than I realize, but I feel like they're due. Um, Sarkeesian, I feel like is due for this kind of win. So I'm going Texas. Uh, next, we have Notre Dame at Virginia Tech. Yeah, I'll go Notre Dame. This this is a toss-up for me. This is really a tough one because Notre Dame has played really poorly. Um, Virginia Tech has a decent win against UNC. I think Notre Dame's a better team. I think they find a way to come back. Maybe this loss gives them a little bit of thump in the backside. But now, and I know Texas-Oklahoma is a neutral site, but uh, you know, I see myself picking a road team here, Notre Dame. Yeah, tough place to play. Uh, you know their crowd's going to be pumped up for it. Um, and, yeah, I, I'm going Notre Dame in a very, very close game. I I think Brian Kelly's too good of a coach to allow his team to go back-to-back losses. Yeah. But, you know, and uh, by the way, I'm going to abridge my pick, not to pick Virginia Tech. I'm not going to say necessarily it's going to be a really close game. It could be. I think it could go either way. I wouldn't be surprised if either team won by 14 points. I just don't know which team that'll be. Yeah, I haven't even seen the the spread on it, but I just I don't know if Notre Dame. Obviously, they're capable of losing two in a row, but Brian Kelly, love him or hate him, is a really good football coach, and I think he'll have his guys ready. Speaking of Cincinnati, another Cincinnati yeah, reference. They put a great Twitter video out there cobbling I together yeah. stuff from prior Brian Kelly press conferences or in the locker room, basically saying how Cincinnati is a great place to be. Right now it is. No doubt. Um, Michigan at Nebraska. Why do I keep picking the road teams? I know Nebraska played well, hung 50 this past weekend, and I know that I've been talking down Michigan. All that to say, Michigan on the road. I'm going Nebraska. Um, I feel like this game could kind of shift. Well, I shouldn't even say that. I'm not going to go there, but Scott Frost is due for a win like this. Um, I was going to say could shift their momentum, but I just don't trust Nebraska at all. But I think Michigan, um, you know, coming off of a very impressive road win at Wisconsin, back to back road games, uh, both you know national tele- nationally televised. This one's going to be a night game. You know, their fans are going to be up for it out in Lincoln. I think this might be one of those games that that catches Michigan off guard here. Hmm. Good pick. And uh, Utah at USC is our uh, Pac-12 game. I'll go USC. Like my buddy Steve, I don't have much on this one. I don't have anything on it either other than I like throwing a a uh, game in there that doesn't make much sense. But I'm going Utah. Um, don't know why. I guess maybe because USC doesn't have Clay Helton, which might be a good thing, obviously, but – have you noticed that that talk has calmed down quite a it bit? Has, by the way, it has. And maybe James what I'm Franklin to USC. Yeah, maybe what I'm thinking too here is is um, coach Utah Ty Whittingham. Whittingham. He's 
very successful. He's been there for a while. So Kyle. I'll take Kyle. Kyle Whittingham. You're thinking of Ty- Tyrone Willingham. Willingham, was it, was Notre, it Dame. Notre Dame. Kyle Whittingham is it at Utah. So I'm going to take Utah. And then finally, um, where game day should be. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's not State College. It's it's away, so that's okay for we'll us. We'll turn on Fox. Um, no yeah. problem. Uh, but uh, Penn State. Hey, are they going to bring Urban back on set after his past week? Or, yeah, maybe. Or maybe. His time in Jacksonville might be up after this year yeah. anyway. He'll but, go uh, from the Columbus College Bars to the Iowa City yeah, College Bars, which go. I can tell you are a good time. Yeah, I'm uh, sure they are. And I'm sure Urban has a different type of time than, <laughs> than most of us there. So, <laughs> Good good shout-out to our good friend Urban Meyer. Um, but Penn State right now is two-and-a-half-point underdogs. Let's hear it, Bob. What do you have for us? Hardest pick I've made all year. Uh, I picked Penn State to lose at home against Auburn, and they played great, and they won that football game. Call me a believer. I- I'm going to pick Penn State to win the game out right here. I know it's essentially a pick em. Uh Steve Batterson, by the way, he picked Penn State against the spread. He Mark did. that one down. He did. I did. Yeah. I'm going to pick Penn State to win outright, and I have this game at 20-13. to 13. I've been kind of like flip-flopping recently, and I'm actually going to take Iowa to win like Batterson, but Penn State to cover. I'm going 17-16. Listen, I think Penn State has more talent. And when I say that, I mean at at the skilled positions, the cornerbacks, um, the wide receivers. Running backs, I think Tyler Goodson's probably the best running back in this game. Um, I think Sean Clifford can be much better than Spencer Petras. The game's on the road. I'm hoping that we don't have any big mistakes from Clifford. Um, the one thing that keeps me, makes me want to pick Penn State to win outright is Penn State has one thing that Iowa doesn't, and that's Jahan Dotson. And you can try to game plan him in a, a bunch of different ways. Um, I just think that the, the lack of running game and the short yardage or costly turnover is, is what's going to haunt Penn State by one point. Uh, I hope I'm wrong. It's a cover. I don't really care about covers. I want to win. Um, but I think Iowa right now, 17-16, very similar to, to Steve. But I, I hope you're right, and I think I'm going to start leaning that way towards the end of the week. But as we are right now, that's how I'm feeling about the game. Okay. Well, for the point of our pick I guess it doesn't matter. But, yeah, let the record show. It was Tyler this week that picked against the Nittany Lions. Uh, I hear where you're coming from, though. I, I think this is a coin flip game. Right, that twenty to thirteen that I picked, that that could be a late touchdown. I mean, sure. that, that, it could be thirteen thirteen to the final minutes. Yep. Who has the ball last? Uh, Almost like the Wisconsin game, I think, is what a lot of people have in their mind. The obviously the opening game of the season, I think, it could be very similar to that. Although I think both offenses will look sharper than what they did in that game, mm-hmm. Penn State, Wisconsin. I agree. It's going to be a great football game, folks. You should be in front of a television or in Iowa City on Saturday at 4 o'clock p.m. So know that's where we'll be, and we'll be right back here next week early to break it all down for you and preview what comes next. So this has been Tyler Gelhouse, Steve Batterson, our guest from the Quad City Times. Great to have him. My name is Bob Long saying so long here from the Nittany Lions Sports Report. Enjoy the football, folks. Penn State, Iowa, top five matchup. This is why you watch college football. Enjoy it, everybody.